Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Hey, Debo, man, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I can't say Debo without thinking about uh, a bike riding guy in Friday. I don't know if you get that a lot. Oh, I get that a lot. Ever so, since yeah. I was 16, yeah. I'm a, I'm a bit of a different build than that guy. <laughs> Not throwing bricks at heads. Huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> Metaphorically. Um, so for those who don't know you, maybe for the audience, uh, would you mind giving a, a background of you know yourself and your work real quick? Sure. I'm a software engineer by trade. Um Right now, I'm VP Engineering at a company called Wave. We run the small business back office for millions of businesses that are mostly focused on the services space. Um, prior to that, uh, I was a co-organizer of two Python conferences in Canada, the first ever PyCon Canada 2012 and, and in 2013. And I've edited an open source book in the application of uh, the architecture of open source application series called 500 lines or less which is i believe how we found each other david yes absolutely anybody who's not familiar with that that work should totally look it up we'll make sure it's in the, the show notes because it's fascinating stuff and um the fact that you can do anything in 500 lines or less this interesting <laughs> you know i think was <laughs> a good mental exercise um yeah and for i should say for the audience too like i was a freelancer and you know consultant and i used wave products and they are excellent and have continue to grow and get better for independent professionals. So um, totally unsolicited pitch right there, but <laughs> Thanks wave, so much, wave, is, wave is cool. Yeah. And, and it really, really works well. And, and it can be a simple solution for, you know, some of the just irksome stuff that, you know, independents um, deal with. So off mic, you and I were talking about a, like a, a passion area or kind of thinking area that, that you've been been working on that I, I kind of would love to delve into once you get a little background there. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, to riff off what you just said, uh, when I joined Wave about five years ago, uh, I was also freelancing and I was also using Wave as a product, which is kind of how I discovered um, us then. And, you know, having joined at a time when we were about 10 engineers, uh, I was mostly responsible for building out some of our core financial services technology. As that scaled like crazy, uh, I got a bit more involved in the leadership aspect of how we run engineering. And we're now at about 100 engineers. And my responsibility is to make sure that they're all productive, happy, and growing. And my actual career passion and the thing that keeps me here and in this industry is uh, I had sort of a seminal career experience back in 2005, 2006, when I uh, got a chance to work at Google. And coming back to Canada from an experience like that, 
was a very sort of bewildering experience because all of a sudden, a lot of people were interested in working with me. And that was a new feeling. <laughs> it wasn't something I'd, I'd really ever felt before. And I'm hoping to create an environment where every engineer at Wave can create that experience for themselves. So as I've been kind of digging around and, and working with the, uh, the folks here who are on this journey together with us, um, one of my passion areas is what I kind of loosely term to fellow engineers as building out HR practices as if they're microservices. And that analogy seems to land a little bit. It's, it's a bit bigger than that, but that's kind of what I was hoping to, to dig into a bit today. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does land well for anybody who's familiar with that sort of uh, design pattern. So I guess give the baseline there. I mean, you're talking to a lot of engineers. I mean, people <laughs> I think know what you know the architectural pattern is. Um, maybe not as familiar with uh, the organizational sort of design discipline. Uh, that was actually my background. So I am super interested in this. So let's let's connect with that. Yeah, cool. So um, I might just tell a story to get there if that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, getting into, for me, getting into a new leadership area, uh, I found a lesson that I learned really quickly is that people will often come to ask you something that they want, but it's rarely what they need. And it's not because they're stupid or because they don't know the, um, they're not wise enough to know that. It's that especially in an area like HR or helping grow people, if you have limited experience, you're going to name what you think you need by something you've seen before. So to make that concrete, I had a lot of folks coming to me and saying, hey, why don't we do performance reviews? Like every six months, why don't we do a performance review? And I was like, yeah, why don't we? That's a good question. And then I sat around, I was like, wait, every time I've ever heard of anybody ask for a perform um, talk about performance reviews, they hated it. So why would we go build out a process that um, we know within a few months, everybody's going to hate most likely, right? It's not like we're going to be able to build the best performance review process ever that will make people not hate it because we're smarter than everybody else. It's, it's not how that's going to work probably. So I started doing some research and um, what, what I was able to contrast, uh, and I would actually recommend a, a single book for this. I believe it's called Next Generation Performance Management. Um, it's sort of unfortunately written as a very long rant, which is fun, but I think kind of detracts from the, the core message a little bit. And what the author was doing with was I thought was pretty cool. And what he was saying is that if you have had any experience with a performance management process in your life, it's probably an old school one. And an old school one kind of looks like this. Uh, you've got the company and it sets objectives because it's got to do something. And then you've got departments and the departments say, oh, there's the company's objective. So I'm going to create my objectives. And then they go to each individual employee in the department and they say, okay, well, here's our department objectives. What are yours? And by this time, you're already kind of bored of hearing this story, but this is how it rolls out. And each individual knows that if I have these objectives, the way I'm going to be evaluated and probably get a title increase and probably get a raise is that my supervisor is going to look at how well I did this, me personally, and then reward me accordingly if they even know how to do this well. And then you build processes around that. So you say, okay, well, we need reviews. We need training to make sure people can do these things. And it becomes this big sort of um, ball of practices that are intended to get the resources the company has and turn them into effective, um, let's say, shareholder value or just growth for people at the same time. But what ends up happening is because that mass is so big, uh, this becomes like a, a monolith. Because anytime you go to change something, you're pissing somebody off because somebody has a vested interest in the component that you are trying to change. So if you're looking at your HR practices covering everything from how people get compensated to how they take leave 
to how we hire or fire them to, and you can kind of riff off anything you've ever had to do in, in one of these frameworks. Um, there's just so many people that need that stuff to do their job that if you try to change it, you've got all these ripple effects and it makes it really difficult for anybody else to respond to that change. So one of the threads that I picked out of this was that if you can create an environment where your um, HR practices, for lack of a better term, have a very specific purpose, just one, and then you loosely couple them, it becomes a lot easier to, to mix and match them. And that's actually what we've been doing at Wave for the last, I would say, five or six months, is we have um, a list of practices that are alive and what their purposes are. And then we have a list of practices that are in test and what their purposes and hopes and success criteria are. And um, we keep adding to those or subtracting from those as we find uh, what I would call like internal product market fit. So if we try an internal practice, people hate it. I'm probably not going to do that anymore because it's no right. fun maintaining a practice that people hate. So you deprecate so that, that endpoint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, or you just, you trash that service and then get somebody to come in and hopefully fulfill sort of the same interface, but maybe it has a different implementation. Right, right. Um, yeah. So maybe that's, some, that's yeah, just some practical examples then. Let's yeah, know, for some sure. Live services and some test services and, and what you've learned, you know, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you want, like that's, there's a, a couple of key insights that I, I'd like to tack on to, because when you go to build, um, I mean, if you go to build any service, never let alone a microservice, you probably have some architectural principles behind what you're trying to build. Like, how are we going to do this that meets our standards? And there's, there's sort of two principles behind any standard um, that we're looking at when we build out a practice. Uh, the first is that uh, well, let me let me ask you this. If I if I was to ask you, do you think feedback is good? What would your answer be? I would have to say yes. Yeah, you'd have to say yes. So research suggests that um, that answer is actually a lot more complicated than yes. And right. uh, the actually feedback can be very damaging. And it's there are many contexts in which it's better to not than it is to actually give the feedback. Um, so the, the key observation there is that people don't really care about feedback. What they care about is progress. And they measure progress relative to where they want to be going. So in an example that I'll use sometimes as I'm trying to uh, help people connect to this is, let's say that you want to be an incredibly um, experienced and relied upon systems engineer. So people are going to come to you and they need to build um, big systems or they have a, a gnarly tech problem they don't know how to solve. And, th and that's your motivation. And both you and the company that you work for have decided that that's a good career path for you. And you're in a demo or something like this, and, and you're talking about some of your work. And you think you're doing a great job. Somebody taps you on the shoulder after and says, hey, are you open to some feedback? And you say, yes, certainly. And let's say their feedback looks something like, hey, I noticed that... Um, in that conversation that you just had, you you kind of stuttered and your communication style wasn't great. And um, if you're going to be a leader in the organization and lead people, that's going to be tough for you to, um, to manage. So you're going to need to develop the skill to be a leader. Uh, odds are that person comes away from that conversation feeling a bit demotivated because they got this feedback that it's good. And actually, had it been in line with the goals that they actually have, it may have been well-received. But they're being told to be this other thing you don't want to be. Um, you need to improve in this way. Uh, the most damaging kind of feedback is actually feedback that sounds like you are trying to change the person rather than change the outcome. So um, a different way that that feedback could have been delivered that was damaging is something like, 
I've noticed that you are a bad communicator or you struggle to communicate. It's not that in this instance, the message wasn't landed. It's that you yourself are a bad communicator. It sounds nasty, but it can happen in, in relatively good intending um, environments. And I find some of the stuff around like radical candor and stuff has really dialed this up a notch in some places. So if I could bottom line this, uh, creating practices that are really about progress, helping people understand what progress is for themselves, and then making sure they get feedback in line with those goals. That's, that's important as, as some of these services roll out. Right, right. What is the discovery mechanism for, uh, you know, sort of the destination, right? Because <laughs> glad you know, you pro- progress toward X, how do I figure out X for myself and my people? Yeah. So if we had to, to zoom this up a notch, we're always looking at um, sort of from a, from a consumer perspective, there's kind of four things we're trying to enable here. Direction, which is telling people, here's where the company is going. Like we've all been working together on this. Here's where the company is going. Um, we need to understand where you want to go to help align that so that it's going in the same direction together. There's some element of control. So not control as in I'm putting wires in your head and I'm getting you to do what I want you to do. But if you had a system, you want some hooks to be able to influence the system. That's control. And then finally, there's progress. So uh, when I said that there were two principles that we usually use to design these practices, that's um, an abstraction. These are actually the four that we look at. So uh, the thing that you're asking for is how do we get direction and alignment working well for the individuals on the ground? So we have a couple of practices that we're uh, trying and testing right now in those regards. One of them, we actually cribbed from a pretty popular, uh, I think it was a pretty popular thing that got published at least a year or two ago through uh, Medium, which is the Medium Growth Framework. Uh, If you're familiar with this or not, uh, the, the key observation they had was that um, when you have career tracks for people, so you've got uh, associate engineer, engineer, senior engineer, this kind of thing, and that's your, that's your progression track, there's two things that happen there. The leaps between those titles are very large. So it's hard for you to feel like you're making incremental progress. kind of sucks. Like... If it took me a year to get from associate to intermediate, and then it took me four years to get to senior, well, geesh, like, what was I doing in those four years to feel like I was making progress that was sort of officially recognized? I was probably looking for another job. Maybe. Yeah. And then the second thing that they recognize is that people bring all kinds of value to um, the work that they do. And companies that are just even just at a very basic level looking to drive results, all of those things aren't necessarily useful, but there's a lot of them that are. And um, a lot of title descriptions and, and sort of role breakdowns, it's going to be difficult to name all those things in that context. So what the Medium Growth Framework did is they got everybody together. I mean, the perception is that they got everybody in engineering together to come up with what are the important attributes that we value at Medium. And half of them were leadership and half of the, I would roughly um, frame them as leadership and half of them were like practice. Uh, things like practice were like server engineering. Um, front-end engineering, uh, ops, that kind of stuff, mobile development. And then on the more leadership side, they had things like initiative, uh, community. You know, How do you go out and engage the community? Recruiting. Um, and they had quite a few. I think they ended up having four areas, 16 tracks, and each track has like several levels that you can be progressing through. And at the end of this, you get kind of an RPG character sheet that says like, you know, you get to pick your title based on 
how much experience you've, you've managed to grind. But the cool thing about that is that you get to make a lot of incremental progress. Like in any given year where if you were just going up a career ladder, you may have only made like a quarter of a jump and that jump was invisible. This year, you could have gone from level one to level two in server engineering, level four to level five in mobile development, and level three to level four in initiative. And you come out feeling like, hey, I made some incremental progress towards my goal. And the cool thing about that grid is that uh, it helps align the things that you could be growing in with what the company thinks it needs, because it's the people on the ground who help develop those grids in the first place. They know that those things are highly valued. So what was cool about doing some of this research is that I was able to see um, in some of the practices that were already live and people were adopting in some sense kind of blindly because it looked cool. Uh, it was easier to articulate where the, what the value was and where the risks were. Um, as an example of where I saw risks in this practice, and I'm not sure because I'm not sure how they roll it out, but I perceived that um, the way this framework works at Medium is that that number that you've managed to grind out um, grind is the wrong word that you managed to grow into. Uh, let's say you're level five, that, that indexes you into a compensation bracket. And that's good. It needs to happen somewhere. But there's a risk there about incentivizing, um, incentivizing certain kind of behaviors that you need mitigating, uh, sort of mitigating behaviors to, to compensate for. So Right, right. Yeah, you can get the basement version of, you know, a given behavior just to, you know, it, and it gets that example gets precisely to your tight, over tightly coupling of your of your services. Or practices. Yeah, I would guess that given the rigor they put into this, that they they have found ways to compensate for it. One way you can compensate for it. And this is also in the research presented in the book that I mentioned before is that you can acknowledge it. So you can say, we know this is a risk. And so we're going to put in a reward structure that says, hey, maybe one of the tracks is collaboration. So if we can demonstrate that you're, you're being an effective collaborator, we'll reward you for that. And it, it provides a counter incentive. Um, I recently gave a, a talk on um, basically how to run design, kind of like design sprints at, uh, I'm not going to name the company, but it's a reasonably successful software company that most people would have heard of. Uh, they're about let's say five, 600, uh, five, 600 people. And their audience was terrific. They were great collaborators. Um, there were about 20 of them. They were super into it, not into me, but into the ideas and, and really running with them. And then I got to have lunch with them after. And there was one person in the group who was like very agitated and they were stressed out because uh, they were wondering how in a group environment like this, when everybody's coming up with ideas and not really um, putting an emphasis on who came up with the idea, but more on the outcome, how they would assign credit to the individual. And I asked, why is that important if the outcome is good? And what they said was that the way that senior engineers get compensated here is by demonstrating that they had a, a very good idea that made it into production. And that's an example of a really well-intentioned incentive that has gone awry <laughs> because... But what it's essentially saying is that I would prefer to um, rig the system, not even to rig the system, to play into the system in a way that shows that I'm doing well over and above what the outcome was. I would prefer for the outcome to be worse and me to be seen better than the other way around. So uh, right, it can be right. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's all kinds of perverse incentives that, that can come out. And, and I imagine part of that design process of a grid or 
system like that, it is going to have to be, like you said, the naming and acknowledging maybe as a group of, hey, you know, what are the potential downsides and risks of each of these things that we ought to pay attention for? And what would what would the symptoms look like? or the results of the data. Yeah, and, and the the reason why I like frameworks like the the few that I brought up, whether it's the one that I'm pulling out of this book or or one that you managed to pull from research yourself, is that uh, it's really easy, especially with engineers, to get into the weeds on a conversation like that. If we're talking about, hey, let's make sure that we minimize perverse incentives, without some principles or um, thinking about how we might do that in general, it gets uh, very tactical very quickly for, for lack of a better term so yeah sure because you know engineers design for yeah. edge cases yeah and <laughs> you need you make sure you have your product people in yeah so well and in, in this discussion i guess i am the product person because what we're trying to do is is yeah. is zoom up to the okay well hang on we're getting stuck let's remember the principles how are we establishing direction and alignment here um and, and that can help and what are those yeah principles? so the the four were uh in a what is called in this book a performance management 2.0 framework, because <laughs> I guess there was only one previous iteration. Um, they are understanding what the direction is. So communicating and understanding what the direction is, and that's the company's direction. Um, figuring out what each individual's alignment is to that direction. What does the company need that I also want to do? Um, finding some way to control that system. And by control, I mean influence. So measuring it. How are we measuring that these things are working out okay? Uh, and then having a way of tracking progress for people so that they know they're making progress. So tracking and acknowledging progress. So if you look at the medium growth framework, like you look at the direction, um, I'm assuming the company, I mean, it does, you can read it in their branding. They have a pretty strong idea of where they're going and that probably drills down to the, uh, the internal level as well. The grid is really about alignment, control, and progress. It's alignment because it sounded like the folks involved in building the grid were the ones who are going to be using the grid. <laughs> so they get to say like, hey, these are the areas that I want to be growing in and I can feel myself represented in this grid. The control part was that, well, we have a regular mechanism of assessing how we're doing, measuring progress, which is the fourth part, and then maybe curbing in a different direction. So sometimes we'll change the grid. Sometimes we'll change the levels in the grid and that will influence how people go through it. So sure. those four things tend to stick out. And if we look at that principle of make sure it's relatively independent from your other practices, it also sounds like that was something they were trying to achieve. So, yeah. yeah. So I thought it was quite good. It just wasn't articulated using those particular principles when it was advertised. But um, having frameworks like this can help. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of, you know, and, and some there's some basic you know, good practices in there that you can do in any sort of uh, group design process, you know, parliamentary decision making yep. and I don't know, you know, positive or negative multi-voting <laughs> and, you know, all types of opportunities or you can say that, you know, all ideas were represented, not all Heard. ideas are going to be implemented, you know, and, and that's good. Uh, exception handling, you know, any of those, those types of things, um, you know, I would encourage any of the listeners to you know, are undertaking this to to embrace the decision making and collaborative process as well. It's not just the destination of ending up with with your system or grid. You know, it's like what you're learning along the way in that journey to trying to do things better together is where the yeah. And um, and for me, like the way I think about that is definitely getting feedback from everybody, um, making sure that people can be heard and um, contribute depending on their their time constraints and how much they want to be involved. 
But the place where I really get interested is when we go to the testing phase, how like sticky is it? Because <laughs> when, when we tested yeah. out even just a very early version of this grid that I threw together without input in like five minutes, uh, I threw it to like five or six people internally that I thought would hate it. And within minutes, they'd already found the medium visualization um, tool that lets you grid this thing. And they were grading themselves. They were self-assessing. And they were excited about it. I was like, this surprises me that they're this stoked about this. So let's, this seems promising. Let's keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Adoption is the biggest hurdle. It's like, it is like software, right? Yeah. You know, uh, it, it fails when adoption doesn't take off. Yeah. Debo, this is awesome, man. Yeah. Um, thank you, you know, for all, all the insights. It's so cool to see, you know, how companies just are out there and, and people in real seats are trying to make things better. I do have the lightning round here. Cool. I got to hit Let's you do with it. the lightning round. So, all right. Critically important question for the audience. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Oh, okay. Wow. You know, that's the first one today for that. Um, what are you reading right now? What are you reading right now? Right now I am reading absolutely nothing. So I take um, a few reading days every month and I cram it in. I think the next thing I'm probably going to be reading, I couldn't tell you. It's on my reading list. I'm very boring right now. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you already mentioned three books during the episode. So. Yeah, because I crammed them in all at once. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about reading strategy next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what can't you live without? Uh, ooh, I would probably say the gym. Yeah, I would probably go nuts if I couldn't work out every day. <laughs> What's the last thing you Googled for work? Last thing I Googled for work was probably, what was this morning? Um, actually, let me just check my search history. <laughs> you can tell. Looking like a true geek. Yeah. yeah there my you go. Yeah, that's my the first thing I did too. Yeah. My friends call me goldfish because I literally have no working memory. Um, probably the last thing I Googled for work was uh, refreshing my memory on some of the stuff that we were about to talk about in here in terms of the uh, direction uh, alignment control and progress piece. Um, prior to that, couldn't tell you. I'm the worst at this. <laughs> All right. So I don't know if you're an Office fan, but uh, I was <laughs> for years. And um, one of my favorite episodes was where uh, Jim predictably was messing with Dwight, but he was, he was sending faxes to Dwight from future Dwight and saying things like the coffee is poison and, and stuff like that. But it got me thinking, right, as a, as a professional interviewer, uh, you know, if I gave you one sheet of paper and a Sharpie, what would you fax to yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago? Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely in big block letters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, tell the story a little bit. Or why? Oh, I think, um, uh, I mean, this kind of segues into another topic that I'm, really passionate about, which is, uh, which is, I would say, bottom line does mental health. Um, I give a talk in, I would say, smaller communities called how an open source project almost killed me. And that's true. And I think uh, I, I came out of school and out of like, my brief stint in Silicon Valley being really wired towards um, an illusion of performance. Like I want to make sure that I'm doing what everybody else expects I should be doing. Um, and that sounds like it'll ring true for most people, but it was very visceral for me. And um, by the time I got to the point where I could be happy doing what uh, I thought was important and my responsibility, not what other people thought, 
I've had to suffer a lot in my health and my career to get there. And on the flip side, I think it helped me become a much more effective leader when I was able to do it um, better. And so now most things don't really ruffle me that much in terms of their <laughs> their grand importance in the universe. So yeah, I would like to tell my past self to find a way to chill out. I'm guessing your past self without that experience would not listen to the facts. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Debo, man, thanks for being a good sport. Thanks for spending time with us. Really cool to have have these insights. I can't wait to, to get it out there. My pleasure, David. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.